You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Amen, church. Great to see everybody this morning. If you are visiting with us, uh, welcome. And we are in the middle of a um, sermon series as we're uh, going through the whole book of Exodus. So we're going to take our time and go through the book of Exodus. Some of you are going, oh, what's the little, um, what's the little pack? Hold on, we're going to get to that in a second. Amen. So um, as we are just sort of starting out the new year, we thought as a leadership that we wanted to really focus in on, you know, more textual study and going through books. That's a good question. So let's all say hi to Newbie. Now I am. Thanks, Newbie. Newbie, that was a big win. That was a, you get a big assist for that. You get a big assist for that. So again, if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for coming. We are in, yeah, now I can hear myself, the, a sermon series on the whole book of Exodus. And I want you really to be thinking about this book of Exodus. When you think of the book of Exodus, there's so many things to think about. What are you thinking about as you think about the book of Exodus? What is this book about? Well, at the end of it all, the book is really about God who desperately wants your heart. There's going to be miracles. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be um, um, nations moving. There's slavery and oppression there's, there's so many things happening in this book, but at the end of it, it's about a God who really wants your heart. And we're going to talk a lot about today, uh, about our hearts. What is going on in our hearts? What is in our hearts? Because when we talk about the plagues, the plagues are, and that's my job today, my job today is to get us out of the plagues. The plagues... The plagues, try not to think of the plagues. I think when I was a teen and I first read about the plagues, the image that just came to my mind was like, oh, God's like Godzilla, and he's just mashing on all the Egyptian gods. He's got a little fire breathing, and, and he's just knocking down pyramids, and he's just Godzilla. And really, the plagues aren't so much about God just being Godzilla. Still about a God that's trying to get your heart. But he knows it's a heart that's easily taken captive. We live in a time and a place where the heart is easily taken captive. And so that's really what he's trying to do. He's trying to free us from captivity in this book so that we can worship and make him Lord of our lives. So to go back to the beginning and summarize a little bit, we talked the first, our first week was about covenant, God desiring and calling us to a covenant. Um, a marriage, a, an intense relationship with expectations. We talked about calling. This is God calling Moses, calling us, revealing himself as the I am. And um, we talked about the contest. That was Ken last week, getting into the plagues. So I'm going to try and finish the plagues so that we can get to, dun dun dun, dun the crossing. Right? And this is what so many of us think of when we think of the book of Exodus, the Red Sea, and parting through the Red Sea. But we're not quite ready yet. So... Let's take a peek at this. It is about God's. It's probably more about the decisions we make 
about our gods. It's probably more about how our gods shape behavior in us. And what's revealed, what's revealed in Exodus is not a vengeful God, not a chaotic God, not a God that doesn't care. What's revealed in Exodus is a God who has power, a God that protects, and ultimately a God that has a plan. Hold on to that. He's a God of power, a God that protects, and a God that has a plan. There, is, there, aren't, there aren't any other gods in Egyptian times nor in our times that have power, have any real power to change us, to shape us, um, to protect us. There aren't any real gods with any real plan in our lives. The only other real God in the world today, right, is the devil. And he does have a plan. But he's, he's, all he really desires is to destroy you. Is to wreck your life. Is to tempt you into doubt and evil and these sorts of things. And whatever God does, he doesn't really create anything. All he does is mash and break down. Okay. We're in the plagues. What's it about? Remember what he says? God really desires these people. And who are they? What's, what's at the beginning of Exodus? A people that are oppressed. A people that are in captivity. And a people that um, are, have no freedom. They cry out to God. They cry out. And God hears them. Isn't that a great moment? God hears their cry from heaven. They're oppressed. And he says, Moses, I want you to go to, I want you to, go to Pharaoh. You've got to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh this. The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go. Let them go. Let them go. So they can come out into the wilderness and worship. Try and again, imagine these people a little bit. This is not, this is not a group of Spartans. This is not an Olympic team that's well trained. This is not people with uh, fancy robes and choirs. This is a messed up people. This is a people that are enslaved. This is a people that doesn't, that don't, I think they remember God, but I don't think there's a lot of worship going on in their community. They gotta work all day. They're stressed. They're beat up. They're hassled. They're harassed. They're just surviving. God calls Moses to be their leader. Moses? Moses is like way out in the desert. He's not even in the picture. And he hasn't even circumcised his kids. What does that mean? He's not really coming to church. He's barely coming to church. He might be coming to church every once in a while, but he sits in the back and just scrolls through his phone and watches football scores. (laughs) Or plays Angry Birds. He comes late. He leaves early. He tells everybody everything's fine, but he's not really paying attention. He's not taught his children. They're not worshiping. This is the guy that's leading them. And God says, okay, it's all changing now. We're going to strip everything away so you can come out into the desert and worship me. That's what this is about. Okay, so let's try and summarize quickly. This is ten sermons. The first plague... They dip the rod into the Nile, and it turns the Nile into blood. Every single plague is about God conquering a local god, one of the Egyptian mythological gods. This first god is Apis. Apis. 
He's the God of great strength. He's kind of got a bull head. And he's considered the God of the Nile. So God is defeating Apis, Apis, with um, the turning of the Nile into blood. The second plague is the plague of frogs. And this is about Hecate. Hecate is the goddess of fertility. And she, again, has sort of this human form. And you can kind of see in this image here, she's got the, the head of a frog. So God turning all the frogs, you know, multiplying all these frogs, he's just saying, you know, Hecate, what do you got? I got you. The third one is Geb. And this is the, um, this is the plague of the dust turning into lice and gnats. And there's lice and gnats all over the place out of dust. And this is, a, this is directly a confrontation or contest with Geb, who's the guardian of the Nile, kind of the building stuff right around. Lots of this stuff is in the pyramids, a lot of Geb in the pyramids. He's a builder, and God's just saying, it's just dust and ashes. We just turn it into gnats and lice. Geb, what do you got? The fourth plague is the plague of flies, right? There's flies everywhere. And this, again, this is God not just being capricious and saying, whatever, everybody hates flies. No, there's a fly guy. Can you see this guy? Kepri. He's got the head of a fly. And he's the god of creation, making things happen, and movement of sun. And so God just snaps his fingers, and there's just flies everywhere, and everybody's wondering what's going on with Kepri. God's taking down Kepri. Fifth god is Hathor. And this is a goddess, and she again will be sort of in human form and have this uh, bull head of a head of a head of a bull livestock. And the fifth plague, of course, is the plague of livestock. And uh, when God curses the livestock, again, I remember as a younger person reading this and just thought, "Man, what's up, God? We got to leave the cows out of it." You know what I mean? <laughs> the cows haven't done anything wrong. Why, why do we got to mess with the cows? Ah, because of Hathor, God's trying to tell these people, all the people, I'm more than Hathor, God of love and protection. The sixth plague is the plague of boils. And this is probably a goddess that most of us are more familiar with. This is about Isis. And Isis was considered a healer and, you know, god of magic, and she was also a god of the Nile. And the Egyptians were a people that were kind of obsessed with um, ceremonial purity. So if everybody has boils on them, they're unclean. This would have driven them crazy. And again, it would have made them really question, where's Isis? I can't believe this is happening. I, Isis is supposed to prevent this kind of thing from happening. The next god, the next plague, is um, the plague of hail. And this is about the goddess of nuts, and she's the goddess of sky and heavens, and she's supposed to protect us from storms, uh, Kadok storms that, um, you know, wreck and destroy. So again, this huge storm of hail coming in, and the hail wipes out all the flax and the barley, um, would directly be a confrontation of God with this God nut. Um, what do you got? I've got you. Now, There is a bit of a halftime right here. And God says, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, I want to give him another chance. I really want to give him another chance. But he needs to know that, man, he's really stubborn, and if he doesn't get his act together, 
these last three plagues, they're going to be worse. But we get this pattern, and there's three or four more of these passages. You get it. Exodus 8.15, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he would not listen. Exodus 8.32, Pharaoh hardened his heart again, and would not let his people go. Exodus 9.7, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he wouldn't let the people go and worship. And this happens over and over and over again. So God, even though this is a really intense thing, things are being destroyed, people are being injured, it is a calamity. God very specifically is watching Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, you've got to soften your heart. Doesn't this speak to us a little bit? We all have some calamity in our lives. But we all have some stubbornness as well. We all have some things that we hold on to and we won't let go of. And we're really resistant. You know you have some things in your life that you're resistant about. Right, teens, whenever you hear your parents complain about your usage on the phone. Right? Doesn't it sort of do that? We get resistant. And parents, when we hear our kids complain about things in the home to make them a little better, parents, right, we can get kind of resistant. We all have some resistance. Maybe we need to make a career change. Oh, but it means a lot of work. Resistance. Maybe I need to talk to my boss and clear some things up at work. Resistance. Maybe I need to talk to spouse, husband, wife, but I'm so mad at them. Resistant. There's a stubbornness. There's a hardness inside all of us. And we want to be right. And we want it to be easy. And we want it to kind of happen. Uh, we don't like taking responsibility. Your life is the life that you've created. Whatever you're sitting in right now is your life that you've created. What have you created? What are you sitting in right now? And God wants to free us from that. We become captives to all that stuff. Our family stories, our addictions, our preoccupations, our sins, our desires, our inability to focus or care about things. And what happens? We don't get freedom from any of that stuff. We just become more captive. And we become oppressed. And again, God, as much as God was watching Pharaoh's heart, He's watching our heart right now. Is it stubborn? Is it hard? You need to ask yourself, does God really have your heart right now? Or is it another God? Another preoccupation? Another stressor? Another idol? What's really in there? Okay, halftime. And we kick back off again. The eighth plague is uh, the plague of the locusts. And this is about uh, the god Set, and he's the god of the desert, and he's got sort of that jackal face, and he's a god of war and storms and chaos. And where does this, where does this plague, this plague rises up out of the desert, the place where Set is supposed to be protecting them, and this, these clouds of locusts come, and they just devour everything. So the hail, uh, took out the flax and the barley, uh, whatever wheat was left over, whatever wheat was left over, the locusts ate all up the next day. So now there's no food. And again, Set 
is put in his place. The ninth god, probably a god that we're a little more familiar with because he's got that hawk head. This is Ra, uh, and he is the god of the sun. And so there in the desert, he makes everything bright. He's sort of one of the premier gods. And God sends a ninth plague, a plague of darkness. And the language is interesting because it says that it was a darkness, you know, everything went dark, but it was a darkness that they felt. It was a darkness that they felt in their bones. If you've ever experienced something like depression, you get it. It gets in your bones. You feel it in your body. You're not just sad. It's hard to move. It's hard to taste food. It's hard to feel things. You just go numb. You just Everything just goes kind of black. It's unbelievably difficult to get out of that. And people tell you, you know, get out. Get over it. That doesn't help. It doesn't help. I'll get to a little bit more of that later. That's not a good coaching speech. Anyway, he says a plague of darkness. No more raw. See what he's doing? Stripping them of all of their idols. Stripping them of all of the things that rely on. Stripping them of all of the things that they think are important. Stripping them of all the things that are supposed to be meaningful in their society. And of course, the last plague is about Pharaoh. And they worship Pharaoh like a god. He's a god-man. He's supposed to kind of be son of Ra, but he's even greater. He's God-man. It's worship of man. Do you think we have any worship of man in our society today? Do you think we sort of worship celebrity a little bit? Or worship status? Worship position and place? Do we have, we have a lot of man worship still. There's no one pharaoh. There's thousands of pharaohs now. And now Instagram's become a place where everybody can be a pharaoh. Everybody can be worshipped. Everybody can be bigger, the biggest man, biggest woman, most biggest influencer, biggest whatever happens in it. And God takes away their firstborn, their children. That sounds cruel. But there's a really important point of that. That we can't worship man and that God is still the God of life and death. God's still the God that controls all of that. Man doesn't have control over life and death. And parents, this one hurts, right? We don't want bad things to happen to our kids. We have nightmares thinking about bad things that might happen to our kids. Some of us have had bad things happen to our kids. It's hard to get over that. And it's difficult to think about God when bad things happen to your kids. Or a God that might allow bad things to happen to your kids. I referenced this last week. And uh, our, our stats are telling us right now that one out of four women in America are sexually abused before they become uh, 21 years old. In California, we believe that number to be higher, one out of three. Bad things, lots of bad things are happening to our kids. How do you get out of that? It's hard to worship God that allows something like that to happen. A lot of people get stuck in that kind of thing. Grandma Jenny was the nicest person in the whole world, and she just got run over by a car or something like that. You go, why? Why do these, why do these things happen? God's still a God of life and death, amen? 
There's no other God. They were oppressed. They cried out to Him. And He delivered them, not by, not by an Uber, not by a chariot. He delivered them by defeating their gods. And we want that. We all want to be delivered. But I don't know if you really want your gods to be defeated. Because we all have some. The Shema, of course, is this Deuteronomy 6, and we'll come back to it. What does God want from them? It'll go out to worship what, so they can do. This is what they remember. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first thing we taught the kids to memorize as babies. This is the thing we repeated over and over and over again. And so the Hebrews, what they got out of this was not, um, remember the Lord your God, the guy that made all the crazy frogs happen. Or remember the Lord your God, the guy that did the thing with the flies. Or, or, or fear God because of, remember what happened with uh, the firstborn. No, what they remember, what they get back to, what they, what they, what they, when you clean out the heart, you come back to this, that there's no other God and we love Him with everything we have. How much heart do you have? How much strength do you have? How much soul do you have? How much heart, soul, strength have we been putting into God? How much heart, soul, strength does God deserve? How do we find more heart, soul, strength to give back to God who saves us, delivers us, frees us from captivity? Look at our gods, right? We're a greedy people. We're a greedy people. We're the richest people in the the world, and we want a lot more. You know what all the one percenters want? More. They're not that satisfied. And everybody that's a two percenter, whatever that is, they want to be a one percenter. We got greed is, is a real God. Think about this for a minute. I mentioned this earlier. Your past is just a lesson. Not a life sentence. But we can worship at that altar. Bad things have happened to me. And what we do is we hold on to those, we put them in a little container. And we think about them over and over and over again. We call it ruminating. And we're not really present. We're not really with people. We're thinking about this thing that happened. My story. This bad thing. And it takes over. It takes up all of our energy. It's just a lesson. It's not a life sentence. Okay. In your bag is a piece of glass. And we're going to get to this here in a second. I'll do a little bit more. You can look at it now if you like. Piece of glass. And um, we weren't sure how many bags to make. We got a few extra bags. If you don't have a bag, maybe just sort of um, holler, at a, holler at an usher. We want to get you a bag. That's good. There's probably a few in the back. When I was uh, four, five years old, kindergarten, I believe, I picked up a uh, broken glass. you got to love little boys. Why would a little boy do this? Why is broken glass attractive to a little boy? Who knows? But they look awesome. Pick up a piece of glass, and I just throw it as hard as I can into a neighbor's yard. But it, it cut right through my finger, and I'm bleeding, I'm crying, I'm having a little tantrum. And the neighbor comes up, and they take me to the hospital, and they're trying to stitch me up. And, um, but it's hard to stitch a five-year-old who's a little, I'm having a tantrum. I'm kicking the doctor. The doctor's trying to stitch me. I keep kicking him. And my mom, they bring my mom in. And uh, the doctor spanked me, pulled me up by the legs and spanked me. So doctors, nurses, I don't know if, how that would pass um, ethically today, but 
Um, it shut me up. And then they brought my mom in. I'm like, oh, good. Doctor's going to get it now. And the doctor goes, hey, sorry, Junior's really out of control. I had to spank him. I was like, yeah, he did. And she goes, I know. Thank you. He gets like that. I was like, Mom, God, betrayal. We are breaking up right now. I need a new mom. Anyway, it heals up. But um, it does a lot of nerve damage. It did nerve damage. It's still numb. It's still numb to this day. You pick up a, if you pick up a, a, a bottle, they're all, they're all just this sharp glass. But most of us, we've been down on the beach, or we've held some sea, sea glass. We call it tumbled glass or sea glass. It's just broken glass. But it tumbles and it tumbles and it tumbles and it tumbles in the ocean and the edges get worn off. And after enough time, after enough tumbling, the glass is nice, smooth, it's easy to touch. It doesn't scare us. There's no sharp edges. We like to bring it out and show it to people. Look at my pretty glass. Some of us, we've got some old injuries. We have some old wounds. We're holding on to some things and there's sharp edges on them. Now you're going on a journey. We're getting prepared for a big crossing and to go out and worship. But if you've got this thing inside of you with all these sharp edges, you're going to have a hard time worshiping. you just got to know right now God is going to tumble that glass inside of you. He's not going to take it out. He's going to tumble it. It's going to get softer. It's going to change. It's going to become something entirely different. It stays inside of you, but it becomes a different thing. So again, when someone's struggling with their past, and maybe they look depressed, try to remember not to say to that person, Dude, you got to just get over it. We do that a lot. It's one of our favorite speeches. A better thing to say is, how do I help you get through it? How do I help you get through it? How do we help, how do we help tumble the glass? It's not coming out because you have memory. You're not going to forget. We need to take the edges off. You need to be able to bring it out without cutting everybody. And that's what God does to us. And He keeps it inside, and then it becomes a different thing. Again, something we like to hold on to. Watch out for your past. It's not a life sentence. It's a lesson. Amen, church? Then we can get out. Again, what does He want? All of our heart. All of our soul. All of our strength. And we can give it to Him. Success is another thing that we worship. On the opposite side. We don't care about anything in the past. We just got to make money. We just got to become, own a company. We just got to lead something. We just got to climb the next mountain. Oh, sex, that's a God. Do I need to say much? No sermon here, right? Are we all agreed? Thank you. Ego is a bad God. What does God say to Pharaoh? He's stubborn. That's ego. That's ego. When's the last time you told someone... Hey, thanks for the input. Thanks for the feedback. That really helped me make some changes. Have you, have you said anything like that recently? If not, you're probably stubborn. 
You're probably resisting help. And maybe it means you don't want to really give up that God. Wow, if you're an addict, we know what this looks like. And we, we, we have documented this a lot. You steal from family members. You lose feeling and love for people around you. You'll do anything to serve your addiction. It's an ugly God. But you know, it's wild today, right? Um, they're just doing all this research and what's going on with kids and screens. The average kid today is on a screen about eight hours a day. And it's getting younger and younger and younger. We're not even sure what that's going to happen. We think maybe their brains are going to melt. No, I don't think that's going to happen. But you know what happens? They get attached to it. And so when they don't have it, they're anxious and angsty and they can't focus nor think. Uh, they, what do they do? They literally fall in love with the thing. Object relations. You can't live without it. Wow. Uh, we were doing that in the, in the kids class this morning. What if God, what if God just beat down the internet? <laughs> what if God took over the internet? Wow, that'd be great. That'd look really different. Maybe our phones would look different to us. And they're not evil. Again, it's like money. It's how you use it. But again, ego. Are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to die to your ideas? Ego death is a good phrase we like. Are you willing to let another take the credit? Are you willing to get help, input, and then give credit to another person? Ego death. Ego death, again, is really vulnerable. My life's messy. i got a lot of sins in my life. i got a lot of problems, and, and I don't know what to do with them. And please help me. Or do you know where I can get some help? That's good. That's kind of ego death. Ego keeps us trapped. Ego keeps us in a small life. Ego keeps us in a small world. Ego kind of keeps us in darkness. With all of our ego, there's not a lot of room for God. Some of us, we have problems with people in the church. Okay, what does that sound like? Really normal? Like people? But our egos get hooked in it. Die to your ego. Say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Let, why? Because you gotta, you got to open up all that space to let God in your heart. Ego death. Why are we worshiping our egos? Well, because we're becoming little pharaohs. And we don't want to not be little pharaoh in our life. You've got to let that die so we can cross and go into the desert and worship. Worship what? Worship who? The God that created the heavens and the stars and the universe. Worship a God of immense power. Worship God that protects us. Worship God that has an amazing plan for our lives. Worship. What's it look like in your life to worship more? He wants to free you. We all want to be free. But will you be free to worship? Does worship mean sharing your faith more? Yeah, probably. Boy, when I was a young Christian, I had more ego death, and I was worshiping more, right? You get this. It's fun to share your faith. You don't even think about it. You don't feel self-conscious. You just feel like, I got saved. It's so great. Come to church. Let me tell you my story. It's remarkable. I was a mess. I was depressed. I was cutting myself. I almost killed myself. Addicted family. Family problems. And God's cleaning up my life. That's a fun story to tell. I love telling that story. But when I'm full of ego, or the past, or fear of the present, or failure, it's it's hard to talk. It's hard to talk to the people that are right in front of you. Ego death. Let it go. Let your ego go. So we're going to finish up with this. You have your glass. You're getting ready for a journey. I would like you to write down 
Also in your bag, go ahead and take out your bag, there's a little journal. And uh, we want you to remember your journey. And sort of jot down a few things from Book of Exodus that you're learning. Jot down the gods that are in your life. Jot down the gods that need to die. Jot down worship. Note, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What did you do to worship? What was it? How did God show up on Wednesday? How did God show up on Thursday? What did you see that helped you worship in those moments? Did you see something? Did you experience something? It happens every day. It happens every day. Most of the times, we just don't see it. We're getting ready to cross. But you don't want to be burdened when you cross. And so also in your bags, two stones. Alright? Choose one. At this time, we're going to take communion. And we want you to choose one stone that's a God that you want to, that you need to kill. And the other stone's your Jesus stone, and you hold on to that one. You take that one with you in the desert. Right? What if Paul say, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Christ crucified. I resolved to know nothing. This is what you want. So we're going to come up. We're going to start on the, on the, on the, on the aisles, on the edges. We'll take a minute and think about lust, ego, the future, money, whatever's taking all your, whatever's taking all of your worship time. And we're going to put it in the basket. We're going to come forward. We're going to make a collective as a people all these gods that we're letting go of. We're going to celebrate too. We're going to let go of all these gods. Let go of all these idols. We're going to hold on to our Jesus uh, stone. And as, as you come through, then you go out on the side and that's where we have the elements. That's where we have the bread. And that's where we have um, the blood. And, and you remember Jesus. And we're going to worship Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you don't get to choose, right? Whatever wounds, whatever stressors, whatever fears you have, I think Job sums this up pretty well. It's a good communion passage. He wounds, right? The plagues. But he also binds. That's what he's really about. The healing. He'll do anything to help heal you. He strikes his hands. He strikes, but his hands also heal. He'll rescue you from six calamities. No harm will touch you in the seventh. I'm going to say a quick prayer so you can sort of collect your thoughts and really engage. Think about what you're letting go. I want you to sort of feel it in your body. I'm letting go of this God. I'm letting go of this thing. And then go take the elements. Celebrate. Jesus is freeing us from captivity. Now we can worship. And let's praise a God that from the beginning of time knew that He was going to adopt us and offer us power, protection, and a real plan for our lives. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank You so much for this time that we in the West Side, here in West L.A., can worship You. Thank You for showing up in our lives. Thank You for Jesus. God, we've all been wounded. We've all been down. We've all been hurt. And yet, those things all led us back to You because we know there's no false gods that are really going to rescue us. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of sex. There's no amount of success. There's no amount of security in the future that will really rescue us or save us like Jesus and His blood and Your presence in our life. 
God, we as a people, we collect idols and gods. We do it kind of unconsciously, sometimes consciously. We need to repent. And God, whatever we notice sort of showing up is taking up too much heart space, head space, the idol that we worship, that we care about the most. Let us come forward now. Put those stones in the basket. and Be freed. And as we take the elements, God, I pray that there's a great spirit of love, gratitude. Thank you for your grace always calling us back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.